Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage for today comes from Acts 4, 1 to 32. Listen for what God is saying to you. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees confronted them. They were incensed that the apostles were teaching the people and announcing that the resurrection of the dead was happening because of Jesus. They seized Peter and John and put them in prison until the next day. It was already evening. Many who heard the word became believers, and their number grew to about 5,000. The next day, the leaders, elders, and legal experts gathered in Jerusalem, along with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others from the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and asked, By what power or in what name did you do this? Then Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, answered, Leaders of the people and elders, are we being examined today because something good was done for a sick person, a good deed that healed him? If so, then you and all the people of Israel need to know that this man stands healthy before you because of the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone your, you builders rejected. He has become the cornerstone. Salvation can be found in no one else. <clears throat> Throughout the whole world, no other name has been given among humans through which we must be saved. The council was caught by surprise by the confidence with which Peter and John spoke. After all, they understood that these apostles were uneducated and inexperienced. They also recognized that they had been followers of Jesus. However, since the healed man was standing with Peter and John before their own eyes, they had no rebuttal. After ordering them to wait outside, the council members began to confer with each other. What should we do with these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem is aware of the sign performed through them. It's obvious to everyone, and we can't deny it. To keep it from spreading further among the people, we need to warn them not to speak to anyone in this name. When they called Peter and John back, they demanded that they stop all speaking and teaching in the name of Jesus. Peter and John responded, It's up to you to determine whether it's right before God to obey you rather than God. And for us, we can't stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They threatened them further, then released them. Because of public support for Peter and John, they couldn't find a way to punish them. Everyone was praising God for what had happened because a man who had experienced this sign of healing was over 40 years old. After their release, Peter and John returned to the brothers and sisters and reported everything the chief priests and elders had said. They listened, then lifted their voices in unison to God. Master, you are the one who created the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You are the one who spoke by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers gathered together as one against the Lord and against his Christ. Indeed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with Gentiles and Israelites, did they gather in the city against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and plan had already determined would happen. Now, Lord, 
Take note of their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with complete confidence. Stretch out your hand to bring healing and enable signs and wonders to be performed through the name of Jesus, your holy servant. After they prayed, the place where they gathered was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking God's word with confidence. The community of believers was one in heart and mind. None of them would say, this is mine, about any of their possessions, but held everything in common. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of the scripture. Uh, my name is Emily McKinley, and I have the great joy of serving as the pastor of this community and um, in ministry alongside a lot of the folks that you saw up front and many people that you often don't see who kind of hang out in the back at the AV table, which I know that Larry is looking to increase the numbers of those folks, so if you're interested in that, uh, let him know. Um, why don't we come together in a word of prayer? God, we thank you for the gift that it is to be community, um, whether it is visiting just um, as a one-off or whether this is the community where we grow and learn and are challenged by what you're trying to do within us and through us in this world. Help us to be present in this space, to clear away the clutter of our mind and um, listen more closely to what it is that your spirit is trying to say to us um, this morning, that we might leave this place encouraged, reminded of your love, and emboldened to speak our love for you and our, live our faith in you with courage and boldness. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So many of you know um, that in my former life, I was a graphic designer. Uh, I worked in the marketing department of an or arts organization at the University of Washington in Seattle. Um, I was about 23 when I started in that position. And even though I had been living in Seattle for four years and actually had just spent a year out of the country, I was still pretty uh, young to the ways of the world. Um, I'm sure that living in an intentional Christian community in college did not help with that. Um, and so I was impressed and like a little intimidated by the folks who worked in marketing because everyone seemed to know all the things about everything. Um, and people spoke with this kind of confidence and authority that, I, that left me sort of feeling really naive and out of my depth. Um, it wasn't until about six months into my position that I realized that most people actually don't really know what they're talking about. Um, what a relief, okay? Um, now I, too, could speak with confidence and authority <laughs> now that I knew I didn't actually have to know what I was talking about. Uh, this was my slow decline from being a deeply honest person to a mostly honest person. More what it did, though, was help me to realize that a lot of people are blowing smoke and hoping that you're convinced there's a fire in there. And the funny thing is, the more people that they convince, uh, the more they actually are convinced that they have a real fire. As it turns out, this smoke-blowing mindset uh, isn't, uh, of intimidation isn't actually all that new. Um, I just had us read an expanded passage today because I think it's important for us to understand the full context of what's going on here. We've got Peter and John who have been arrested for, it's not entirely clear, healing without a permit, speaking without a license, um, and as the temple leadership bring them in for questioning, it's clear that they don't actually know exactly what charges they've got on them, but they definitely know that these guys are a problem. Their message is weakening a hold on their hold on the community and perpetuating the dangerous ideas that that guy Jesus, that they thought they had gotten rid of, was spreading. Sparking imaginations, helping people come alive in ways that this group of leaders couldn't contain or control. 
So they pull Peter and John out of hold, the holding cell, and there's this sort of like pre-trial hearing that's taking place to see if there are any charges that could stick. And they ask this question that is like the worst question that they could have possibly asked, but really is evidence of how much they've come to believe their own smoke and mirrors. They ask, by what power or in what name did you do this? And you know, Peter's like, I am so glad you asked that question. Uh, because the thing is, they ask this question, power, because uh, power only recognizes power. And they're pretty sure that they are the highest power in the land. After all, they've got Rome behind them, right? Boy, they rocked into their own trap with that one. Peter takes this breath and drops some knowledge, pulling out some receipts in the form of a body tried, crucified, and revived. The passage says the council was caught by surprise with the confidence uh, with which Peter and John spoke. After all, they understood that these apostles were uneducated and inexperienced. And I'm sort of like, really? We just heard that these guys had convinced 5,000 people to follow them. And you have to wonder how much of their own Kool-Aid these leaders, elders, and legal experts were drinking. But there they are, flabbergasted, that these obviously uneducated and uncredentialed people could speak with the kind of confidence that they projected. They paid a lot of money uh, to be able to project. And I'm going to pause right here on this word that gets translated as confidence, because it's not just about confidence. Um, the Greek word, parisia, you want to say that? Parisia, is about a kind of liberated tongue. A capacity to speak unfettered, unself-consciously, and with, I like this part of the definition, with a cheerful courage. How were these guys able to speak so confidently, so authoritatively, so cheerfully, when they weren't part of the club and they didn't have the usual marks of power and privilege? Maybe uh, these leaders even feel a little indignant, right? Like, yo, I paid all that tuition. How did these guys circumvent the process? And how come they get to be happy on top of all of that? And maybe even Peter and John are a little dumbfounded, too. After all, they are uneducated, and they are inexperienced. Of course, the answer is right there in the scripture. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter and John didn't speak by their own power. They spoke with confidence and authority and cheerful courage because their knowledge and certainty didn't come from their own egos or their fancy diplomas. It came from the very source of power, the risen Christ the one who went before them to judge those judges, who exposed that temple leadership for the fearful and anxious people that they were, the one who showed his followers then and us today that the systems and structures that shape our lives, while important and even valuable for helping us to have order as a society, that they don't define our worth, our ability, or our capacity to speak with courage and act with confidence for the sake of God's vision of wholeness of life for all. When we give ourselves over to the power of the gospel, we find ourselves doing strange and surprising things that sometimes can feel threatening to others who have invested their lives in those structures, sometimes even a little threatening to ourselves. So we're in this season of making a financial commitment to support the work of UVC, and now there are a lot of stats I could show you, things like how our average attendance has increased since the year before, I could tell you about how our budgets are lean and getting leaner. I could even talk to you about how our pledges, while faithful, still don't cover the cost of our site. I could do a deep dive into those numbers, and I'm happy, or better yet, Grant is happy, uh, to have a conversation with you about that. But what I really want to focus on is what all this giving is about, 
and how choosing to be bold in faith with our finances can lead to increased power and freedom, not always increased wealth, uh, as Brandon talked about in his testimony. But Because if there's one thing, uh, if there's one system or structure that we absolutely cannot extract ourselves from, it's our finances. Much of our lives revolve around what, at a basic level, is our financial needs. Work, school, where we live, what we eat, what we drive or ride, and so much more. And so it's natural that we would start to attach value to those things, right? If, uh, if not straight-up financial value, then personal value, which then becomes social worth, which then becomes personal worth, wherein all of these things get attached to things like anxiety, and wondering how much you belong or don't belong. And that anxiety and sense of belonging circles around and gets all tangled up with our sense of vulnerability, which is tied to our sense of security and control and personal power and agency. And we can keep pulling the thread, but we'd end up going quite down quite the rabbit hole, which ultimately ends with that point that Jesus made about how you can't serve two masters. Now, one of the powerful things about the early church that is described here in Acts is that all the people who decided to follow in the Jesus way made this choice to give up their personal wealth and put it into a common account. The boldness of Peter and John wasn't just in this moment of testimony before those leaders. It was a boldness that they and other followers tried to have permeate all aspects of who they were. The boldness was in choosing to be completely divested from the values of this world, the the structures that had always defined their worth and capability. What do you do for a living? Where did you go to school? What were your grades? And fully take on an alternative set of values, the values that Jesus taught. It was a profound act of trust in God as well as in one another because it only worked, actually, if other people did it too. The followers of Jesus in the early days were doing a trust walk like Christians today wouldn't dare. It is easy from this distance of time and culture to try and say that things were different. But they weren't, really. I mean, not in the ways that matter to this conversation. Opening ourselves to one another in vulnerable ways, to be caught and cared for, to catch and care for others, it goes against what most of us were taught. And so choosing to take what has been created for the sake of power over and transaction against, choosing to give it up and give it away, that is, as as Jonathan said a few months ago, uh, a kind of taking something profane and turning it into something sacred. Opting out of transaction and opting into community transforms us as individuals. It also transforms us as a collective Being true community means that we walk with one another in times of joy, but also in times of unexpected distress, grief, or pain. And I recently saw this video that in some ways captures what I'm talking about perfectly. When we open ourselves to being in real community, We're stepping out in bold faith and trust. Faith and trust that we will be held when we get hit and that we will hold others when they are hit, that we keep showing up and being there in these wonderful times and are right there in that moment when people need to be caught. At UBC, we're trying to make this possible in as many ways as we can. 
And I'm asking you to do this through a financial pledge for 2018 to contribute and build the kind of radically loving, inclusive community that God is calling us to be, where we can wrestle together across our differences of opinion, experience, and even belief, to be the kind of community that will open ourselves to one another in all the ways that our systems and structures would rather have us not, or more importantly, in all the ways that God would have us do so that we might live more fully into God's vision of wholeness of life, that we don't believe the lie that we have to do all of this alone. So I'm asking you to make a bold financial commitment. But that's not the only ask. I'm also asking you to commit to another way, I've, in another way. I'm, I've been in conversation with Rebecca, our care team leader, about some important ways that we might grow in being community with and for one another, especially in times of stress, of grief, of pain or illness. And we've been talking about how to lift one another up in prayer and really at the end of the day, how to create a network of relationships so that we can catch one another, so that we can be caught and build the kind of culture where we're watching out for one another. It's too easy to be lost in this city. One of the ways that I'm asking each one of you to help is by looking out for one another, to notice each other. Whether it's surgeries or illness, a lost job or a family member who has died, to, to let Rebecca or myself or other folks on the care team like Grant and Vania to know that, that, that there is someone who could use catching or caring or just simply noticing. We spent September talking about mental health and depression and anxiety, a silent, toxic rusting of our insides. We don't have to do it alone. And usually it's those folks who are struggling the most who need to be noticed, but they're not necessarily going to be asking for help. We need to notice each other. I can't tell you how many, how many times I've learned about someone who was sick or grieving or in going into surgery by chance that I just happened to check on Facebook and saw a post. We need to do better as community on this and become spies of the best kind so that we can support each other. We usually are conditioned not to ask for help, but we can certainly look out for those who might need it. We live in a culture and a context where it's too easy for people to walk through their pain alone. So I'm asking you to make a bold financial commitment and a bold community commitment. And these things are not just nice things to do, they're actually how we claim and live out a bold faith, a faith that says the values of this world don't have to drive my values, and my desire for self-protection is less important than the discipline of being connected to God and to others. When folks opened themselves to boldly following Jesus in Acts, they opened themselves to a mystery that was beyond their imagination. Peter and John were nobodies. They were inexperienced, and they were uneducated. And when they stepped out to follow Jesus, I'm pretty sure they didn't realize they had begun this process of completely transforming their, under, their way of understanding and being in the world. But this boldness isn't a given. If you recall, Peter was no model disciple, right? He denied Jesus, that he knew Jesus at the moment when Jesus needed to know that he wasn't alone the most. Peter knew that his faithfulness and his boldness did not come from him. 
And so when he and John returned to their community, we read in our scripture today, they prayed. They prayed, Master, you are the one who created the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. Lord, take note of those threats that we are receiving and enable us, in spite of ourselves, to speak your word with complete confidence. Stretch out your hand to bring healing and enable signs and wonders to be performed through the name of Jesus, your holy servant. We can't do it on our own. Peter and the disciples did not forget where their power came from. They knew they didn't possess it themselves, that it was the Holy Spirit who made it possible. Boldness was not a given. It was an act of discipline every single day of their lives, an intentional obedience that wouldn't always be done perfectly or consistently. So they prayed bit by bit, step by step. These early followers opened themselves to Jesus and his way. And in spite of all of their flaws, the testimony of their lives and their mouths inspired others. And then those people were transformed, which inspired even more people to follow. And their numbers began to grow, and their transformations spiraled out into the world with boldness and a cheerful courage. And this, when we give ourselves over, our finances, our self-protection, our anonymity, everything, this is how bold faith can lead to bold and life-giving transformation of the world that we live in. It's all connected, but it begins with the bold faith of a few. It begins with you. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you enable us and equip us to be bold people who would dare to, to believe that maybe, just maybe, we could participate in your work in this world. Help us to be like Peter and John, people who are flawed, people who are unsure, who act sometimes irrationally, but people who seek to be faithful, who do their work humbly, who continually apply themselves as much as they possibly can every day to your work of life-giving effort and presence of cheerful courage in this world. Help us to be bold in every way that you call us to be bold. And let us marvel at the mystery that unfolds as we are transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this table, we remember the pain of lives lost and our ongoing struggle to be the beloved community that God created us to be. We recognize the systems and social structures that alienate us from one another and apply ourselves to their transformation. One way that we do this is by remembering those killed in our country. We remember India Monroe. Misha Caldwell. Jamie Lee Wounded Arrow. Jojo Stryker. Jaquarius Holland. Tierra Richmond. China Gibson. Sierra McEwen. Alfonso Watson. Kenny McFadden. Che Juicy Reed. Mix Bostic. Sherelle Faulkner. Emer Alvarado. Kendra Adams. Ebony Morgan. T.T. Dangerfield. 
Guinevere River Song. Kiwi Herring. Anthony Bubbles Torres. Derricka Banner. Ali Lee Steinfield. Stephanie Montez. Candace Towns. At this table, we remember those who also go unremembered, unnamed, and unloved. And at this table, we enter the mystery of being, the ways that who we are on the inside do not match who we are seen and assigned as on the outside. We name and we hold the inner tension and our outer conflicts. This is a table for all who want to engage that tension and conflict with grace, with love, and with cheerful courage. This is a table for all who want to follow the more authentic and courageous path that Jesus paved so long ago at the cost of his own life, knowing even that in his own identity, who he knew himself to be on the inside was not what everyone recognized on the outside. Now, there will be some words on, um, projected on the screen, and they are words that are not just on a screen. They are words that we say in unison and in chorus with those who have gathered around tables like these, hoping, applying themselves to the work of the gospel and its transforming power within themselves and the world that they lived in. And so I say to you, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise as we recall that ancient story of creation and mystery of being, the ways that our categories cut us short and our imaginations curtail our sense of possibility. We remember that when there was nothing, God, you created everything, flora and fauna, fish and fowl. How you created Adama, which is the Hebrew way of saying ground and earth, but we have turned into a gendered name. The first of many moments when we chose to limit your expression. And then we remember also the ways that you called us to be partner in stewardship of creation, helping us to, uh, calling us to help it flourish and come to life in new and surprising ways. But we also remember that we could not believe that there could be so much newness and surprise in the world, that we would rather live in these spaces where there is just at least enough for me and mine at the expense of those and others. We recall the ways that throughout history and time you tried to call us back to that abundant imagination through prophets and poets and priests and those who have proclaimed your truth in big ways and in small ways. And we also remember the ways that we just refused to believe that could be possible. And so we remember at this table that you looked at the earth that you loved so much and all of us and said, there is so much more that could happen if you would allow it. And so you came in the form of Jesus here to earth to help us see and live into a new way to show us how to do it and to feel the way that we feel, to feel our inner selves in tension with our outer world. And so as Jesus walked around on earth and taught and showed people what it, this life could look like, this wholeness of life, this aligned life could look like, and it caught people's imaginations on fire that we began to, that the systems and structures that benefited off of our anxiety around exclusion, our anxieties around alignment, that those structures began to feel the ground shake beneath them through these powerful teachings. 
And Jesus, knowing that his time on earth was coming to an end, that those systems and structures would not abide by that ground-shaking much longer, he gathered his friends as he always did throughout his ministry for one last time around a table, a crowded table full of potlucked meal, foods brought, chipped dishes, too much wine, not enough water, no hand sanitizer, bad jokes, great stories, and deep, abundant love. And at some point during the meal, Jesus paused the, the conversation and he picked up a loaf of bread and after giving thanks for it, he blessed it and broke it and he showed it to his friends and said, this is my body, grown from the earth, harvested, pounded, mixed with all kinds of other elements, fired, brought to the table and broken for you. And in a similar way, he picked up a cup and he poured out wine. Here we use grape juice in solidarity with our siblings in recovery. He poured out wine and he said, this is my blood poured out for you, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. My blood grown on vines, crushed and fermented, barreled and sent out so that you might taste and see how good this world can be. Whenever you eat from this bread and drink from this cup, remember this moment and remember these promises that I am here with you in all the ways that matter most. Holy Spirit, pour out yourself upon us, this community gathered, anxious, fearful, hopeful, joyful, wondering, and upon these elements, that as we consume these elements, we are reminded not only of that tremendous promise you made so long ago, but the life that shaped those promises, that expressed those promises more fully. And maybe even more so, help us to remember that original call you called us to, to hold the tensions of ambiguity in the world that we live in, and to live courageously, with cheerful courage, the lives that you've called us to lead as reflections of your gospel truth. 